0: Proverbs 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let another another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb but to a hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place ointment and perfume delight the heart and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. My son, be wise and make, and make heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. A prudent man perceives evil and hides himself, the simple pass on and a parrot punished. Take the garment of him who is surety for a stranger, and hold it in pledge when he is surety for us to do to us. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted a curse to him. A continual dripping on every very rainy day, and a contentious woman are alike. Whatever restrains her restrains the wind, and grasps oil with his right hand. As iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens the countenance of his friend." Whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit, so he who waits on his master will be honoured. As in the water face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man is valued by what others say of him. Though you grind a fool in a mortar and with the pestle along with the crushed grain. Yet his foolishness will not depart from him. Be diligent to know that the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountain are gathered in, the lambs will provide you provide your clothing and the goats the price of their field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants.
1: Tonight, we're looking at uh, friendship from the book of Proverbs. And we saw it a number of times in Proverbs 27. We are going to be jumping around. And I'm not going to give the references tonight. because I've got about 15 references from Proverbs. But if you would like the references after, I can WhatsApp them to you. So do ask me if you'd like the references for the Proverbs I've quoted well, the message of the Bible can be summarized by many different words, and one of the most important words is this word, friendship. We were created by a friendly God in order to enjoy, first of all, his friendship, but also to enjoy the friendship of all the people that God has created in this world. Friendship. It's having a Bond of mutual affection for someone who is not necessarily in your family. Friendship designed by God, but destroyed by humanity. Friendship no longer perfect, but still vital to our ongoing healthy functioning in this world. The book of Proverbs gives wise advice on how to find friendships and how they function when we do find them. But it also gives us advice on how there will only ever be one unfailing friend who will never leave us, never let us down or forsake us. So first of all, Proverbs presents to us a triune God. And this is the key to all of the rest of the teaching of Proverbs about friendship. For example, in Proverbs chapter 8, Christ is seen to be the wisdom of God from heaven, who is filled with the Lord God Himself, and who goes out and creates all things in his own image. And as he does so, says Proverbs 123, He, he makes us His own by giving us His word and then pouring out His Spirit on each one of us. And so we Discover in, in the book of Proverbs that the Lord filled Christ, who gives his spirit, has been eternally united as Father and as Son and as Holy Spirit together. There's never a moment in eternity past when God did not enjoy friendship between the three persons of the Trinity. Here in God, we find this deepest, truest eternal, most unbreakable of friendships that's been going on forever and will go on forever. And so God is displayed in this book as one who is an eternal friend within himself. And so it's little wonder then that this ancient book of wisdom places so much emphasis on being friendly And of the importance of finding good and true friends in this world in which we live. Because wisdom created us to reflect back to him the truest sense of who he is. The triune God made us in his image so that like him we could be united in friendship with one another and with him together. So he has made us to reflect him on this horizontal plane of earth, but also in the vertical sense of being friends, eternally united with the eternal three-in-one God. Each one of us has a longing for friendship. We long for it, true friendship. And that deep longing within each, each and every one of us cannot be explained in any other way or by any other philosophy or religion than the one of Scripture which presents to us having been made in the image of a triune God. The three-in-one religions that deny the Trinity cannot explain our longing for friendship. Nor can any evolutionary philosophy that fundamentally believes that we are to push the weak aside in order to develop and gain preeminence, in order to survive. It's me that must survive, and I must push you away to get to the top. The friendship that all of us long for internally is explained by having been made in the image of a, an eternal triune God who has this loving, unbreakable friendship within himself. Now, clearly, we live in a world that uh, so often exists, friendship so often exists as just a shallow version of the real thing. We don't see the unbreakable trinity so much in this world anymore because of its fall, because of its sin. And so Proverbs goes on to explain what has gone wrong and what the solution is. So secondly, we see this, that it's sin that divides friendships but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified that renews us back into the image of God and to discover true friendship as it's meant to be. Many verses of this book speak of how broken friendships have become since God made us in his image. Sin has entered our world, and that sin now shatters what was once united see it around the world. We see it in the news every day. There's that visual presentation that something's gone wrong. Men and women hate each other. Countries, nations fight each other. Broken court systems, individual and community hatred, hatred within families and broken friendships on every plane indicate to us that something has gone terribly wrong with our world. Three sample verses tell us from Proverbs. Number one, many a person proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy person? Another one, the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. And number three, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friendships. These and many other verses in this book indicate that our world has gone awry. We no longer enjoy the peace, the togetherness, the the deep and faithful unity that we we were created to enjoy. Gossip happens. Misunderstandings take place. There's unfaithfulness and unkindness along with selfishness and pride. They all undermine long-term friendships. They break us apart and do not unite us. More than that, friendship has not only been broken, but it's been made very shallow. You see it in our own culture. Friendship today has been dampened down to mere acquaintances at the click of a button on social media so often. Someone may follow us from a distance, And they may occasionally click a like on a photograph or a post that we make, and they are called friend. I have, if you look at my Facebook site, which I haven't been on for a while, but (laughs) I've got hundreds of friends. Apparently, I don't know half of them. Who are who are these people? How did I get to be a friend with them? Perhaps they think the same thing. Friendship has become so shallow as to be almost worthless. Like, loves. And befriending is done with the click of a button, and it's lost in the same momentary way. But sin hasn't just damaged our earth-bound friendship groups. It's also broken our unity vertically with the one who made us and who has longed always, as James read earlier, to be our friends. Wisdom, says Proverbs, made us his friends, but foolishness has broken off our contact with him. Yet we are presented here with a great hope that the wise Christ who made us will not let us go that easily. We may delete him from our minds. We may click him off our hearts. But our wisdom friend Christ who maintains his contact with his beloved creation. And so says chapter 18, verse 4, one with many friends may be harmed, but... There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yes, our world of friends may crumble around us, but there is one who will always remain faithful to us. He will stick with us like like super glue, no matter how much we seek to pull away ourselves or how much we undermine him or, or gossip about him or even hate him. He says, I will not leave you, will not forsake you. Christ is faithful, and he gives us life in order to restore to us that original creation intent that we are to be united with him in love. Friends may or may not be for life. We can grow up. Many of my closest friends growing up have just lost contact over time. They moved away. I moved away. Just lose contact. But Christ in the gospel, he says, I'm going to follow you i going to be with you wherever you go, however far away you run. Like the prodigal son into the far country, I'll be waiting there. I'll be there for you. He is the one who said, as the father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain, he says, in my love. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Like, none of us really understands, do we, how, how we get friends in this life. Some just happen to be in the same room on an odd occasion, and we get chatting to them, and then we're like, oh, do you want to go for a coffee? And then get to know them, and then become the best of friends, just seemingly at random. Others seem initially forced, but then they grow and they develop over time. And we can lose friends in the same way. We just drift apart, and something takes place, and someone falls out, and We lose what we had gained. But Jesus Christ says, I chose you before the world began. I chose you before you turned away from me, and I chose you before you turned to me. And so having chosen you, I have laid down my life for you. I am the lamb slain before the foundation of the world in order to reveal to you that I am yours you are mine and that we are united, bound together by blood, by covenant. So God's intention has always been to reunite our broken friendship with him and to do it at extraordinary personal cost to himself. He does it, says John's Gospel, by laying down his life, by losing all his own friends who forsook him and fled while he hung upon the cross. More than that, says John, he had to even cry, that cry of abandonment on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Abandoned by friends, abandoned by his father in order to never abandon you, to draw close to you, to unite you with himself through his own precious blood. Such was his dying love for us, his vile and wretched sinners, as we are, the ones who had betrayed his trust, the ones who had hated him without cause, who'd slandered his love, who'd misread his mercy. Such was his love that he's willing at any moment to take us back, to receive us in again. God so loved that he gave. And so as we turn to him in faith, and trusting ourselves to his tender mercy. He speaks words of renewal and forgiveness and mutual affection. He comes to us with words of grace and kindness. You remember the way the, the four friends, they had that lame friend of theirs and they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowds in the house. And they're like, how can I get healing for my friend? And so they, they carry his bed up the outside of the house onto the flat roof. They make a hole in the roof and they lower their friend into the, at, at, to the feet of Jesus. What does Jesus say, having, been, having mud poured on his head and people breaking into the crowd? What does Jesus say in Luke 5? Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. This is what friends do, don't they? They Friends bring friends to Jesus Christ, and they find in him a friend who reconciles sinners to himself. This is the power of the gospel. It restores what was broken, it renews the fallen, and it unites what is divided. Here in the foolish gospel that proclaims Christ crucified as a means of salvation, what foolishness we might say. But in this foolish gospel, we meet true wisdom, and he welcomes us into his own personal friendship group. And that group is known as the church. And this is what we see thirdly in Proverbs. It is the church that is to be the place where we find the most extraordinary, unbreakable friendship of all. The book of Proverbs, you see, is not encouraging a me and God mentality. Proverbs is written to the whole people of God and says, together, let us enjoy Christ and his wisdom and his grace. It's an us and God mentality. Together, we are friends with one another and with him. This is why we gather on Sundays. Because as Proverbs talks about, we are a people of God. We were grouped together. Together we follow the wisdom of heaven. We're guided into truth, to Christ, by his word. And so our Christian friends have been made righteous, made wise in Christ and in his word. So this is what Proverbs instructs us. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. There's another verse that says, a righteous person is careful in dealing with his neighbor, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. You see, we have this picture presented that we are to be around people who are righteous, made righteous by the blood of Christ, made wise in the Savior, the truly wise one. So as a company of God's righteous people, we are to be the best of friends, unbreakable bonds between us. We are united as a church against a common enemy. He is the evil one who seeks to destroy our world and our church. And that should drive us together. More than that, we are united in the Lord and in the cross and in the gospel. We are forgiven of our sin. We are washed clean. We are made new. We are made one in Christ. Of course... The great danger in any friendship group is to see each other's glaring faults. And the more we get to know each other, the more we see those. And the danger is that we we begin to move away from each other, to break off. But here we are called to overlook each other's faults, to be patient and long-suffering with each other so that we don't let anything break us apart. Why, says Proverbs 17, 17, because a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a difficult time. Here in the church, we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to counsel one another. Because we are friends, we are even to rebuke one another out of love. Again, the wisdom of Proverbs on how to be such a church is remarkable. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Again, it says, whoever conceals an offence, promotes love but whoever gossips about it separates friends but the wounds it says chapter 27 the wounds of a friend are trustworthy the kisses of an enemy are excessive you see what it's saying saying that here in the church we are to be brave enough to challenge one another brave enough to call out each other's sins in a private and gracious manner brave enough to humbly seek each other's growth and maturity, even if it means personal cost to ourselves. Because we are all friends, here we know when to overlook a fault and when to challenge a fault. We do both carefully and prayerfully, we saturate our talking with each other with humility and patience and kindness, but we move towards each other in overlooking and wounding out of grace and love. I wonder if we think enough about this whole concept of the church being a group of friends. It's challenging, isn't it? We become used to each other. We, we become used to the phrases, church members. We even become used to the phrases, brothers and sisters. How often do we think of one another as friends? Friends good friends, the best of friends. That outlook on one another would surely deepen each other's love for each other. Surely it would deepen our understanding of one another and our patience with one another. It would unite us in ways that we might not expect. Over time, it's all too easy to pick and choose our friends within the church, and that is natural to some degree. We are closer to some than others. But we have to be careful, don't we, to say, there's not a church within a church. There's not a group of friends within a wider group of friends. And I talk to my group of friends within the church, and the others, I, I see them standing alone, but they, I'm, they're not in my friendship group. Or, or we see them over coffee, and I, I haven't talked to them for a while. What, we should say, they're my friend let's go and talk to them, let's go and chat, because I'm a friend. We exist as a congregation to be friends, to reflect God well. Father, Son, and Spirit should be reflected in the way that we go outside our natural friendships to people that we might not naturally be friends with in common life. We have to be the truest, the godliest friends to one another. Here in the church, Old, friends with the young. Male, are friends with female. Here we see each other through Christ's divine eyes of love and friendship. I remember growing up in a lovely church in Forest Park in Swansea. little About the same size as we are tonight. And uh, my, I always looked forward to church. I wonder if you do as a young person. I always looked forward to it. I realised that in there, not just friends of my own age group, but everybody was my friend. I remember there was a man, probably four rows down on the right-hand side. I'd come in. I'd always ask my parents, can I sit in the front row? And they're like, why do you want to sit in the front row? Everybody sits in the back. Like, Yeah, but he gives me sweets on the way past. So I'd come in and he'd be like, yeah, handing out sweets as I walk past. Even if we were late for church, like 10 minutes, he'd be like, crunk, crinkle, crumple, bringing it out, disturbing the service, because he's my friend. And then at the door, collecting the hymn books at the end, was a 96 year old man saved in the revival, Welsh revival, 1904, 1904. Danny Roberts, and he'd be like, all the young people would gather around him. He used to love them and just talk to them. And then there were two sisters. They all sat on the right hand side, about in the middle where Alan and Cath are. And uh, they were all they were in the 60s, never been married, but we'd always go to them as. As young people, and chat to them, and they always be interested in us and love us and ask us about our week. And then Sunday afternoons were the greatest of all because my friend, uh, same age as me, would go back to his house and play pool all afternoon, computer games. and when I, when I say computer games, you have to understand it was the 80s. So <laughs> computers <is> are a stretch. <laughs> but two dots and a line on a screen, that was basically it. But the sweet memories of I had a friend. Same age, nine, 10 years old. I had a 60-year-old friend. I had a 70-year-old friend. I had a 96-year-old friend at the door. Everybody's friends. I was welcomed there. I knew I was loved. And we went through a tough time at one part when I was a young teenager. The church fell apart, split. People were angry with each other. I used to look as a young teenager and go, why? They are all my friends. Why are they bickering at each other? And Why have they fallen out? friendship if we understand that it'll hold us together in supernatural ways when we say I'm trying to reflect the trinity here in the way that I speak and love you then I'm not just an attendee that comes to a church service. I'm like at the end we're looking out for one another how can I encourage talk rebuke love overlook how can I be a friend to the young people the older people how can we cross the age gaps so that we are good and kind friends. How do visitors feel when they come among us? Do they say, oh, they're were, they were a good group, a close group of united, loving friends. I see the triune God reflected there, both vertically as the gospel is preached and horizontally in the way that Emmanuel lives that out. A church should be a place we go, "I can't wait to be there, because I haven't seen my friends all week. I want to go and see them." And so lastly, how might we grow in friendship through reading Proverbs? Well, here is a book that is full of wisdom in this aspect of daily life. We saw a lot of verses in Proverbs 27, as James read it. It tells us how to get friends and then how to grow in friendship. It informs us how to react when friends let us down. And when we see a friend sin, it tells us how to avoid what, who to avoid friendship with. It's interesting, isn't it? Some people it says, don't be friends with them. We're told in Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. We want to be friends like Jesus, who sticks with us at all times through thick and thin, through ups and downs, through our weaknesses and our failures and our sins, as well as our virtues and godliness. We want to grow in that, and Proverbs helps us. And so uh, when you go home, would you Google it or, or go on your Bible app and search for friendship and see the, the many different ways, tens of ways, that it talks about friendship? Two people, says Proverbs, you should avoid friends, being friends with. Wouldn't think that the Bible says that, do you? would you? Two types of people, angry people and gossips. It says avoid them, avoid them, because they will quickly turn on you when you fail and they'll be sure to gossip behind your back when they spot a flaw in you. Now, we might enjoy gossip concerning others, but warns this book that will come back to bite you very soon once people learn your secrets and your flaws. But hope is held out that even present enemies can be turned into the best of friends. Jesus quotes this, Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Doesn't that really get to the heart of what friendship is all about? Friendship with God, is founded on the gospel, which has reunited us with the master of heaven. Undeservedly, God came down and made his enemies his friend by feeding us, by giving us water to drink, by dying on the cross, that enemies might be reunited with him, the holy God. And it's that same gospel that's been powerful enough not only to reunite us with God, but to reunite former enemies within our world. Remember when I used to live in Northern Ireland, there were two men who used to go around preaching the gospel around the towns and villages, and they'd take tents everywhere, and and they'd invite people along to hear the gospel. One was a loyalist background, strongly hating Republicans. The other one was a Republican. Both had been terrorists. Both had been sent to prison for killing people, and they'd become Christians in prison. And those former enemies were now joined on mission together. They went around the UK as well sometimes, preaching the gospel. The men who tried to kill each other were now trying to save people together. It's a remarkable story of enemies being transformed by the gospel. Well, think of the apostle Paul who spent many years imprisoning and killing the people of God. He traveled the world in order to find a Christian, to chuck them in prison. And yet through the gospel, he's converted and he becomes one of the greatest ever driving forces for loving church unity. Speaking about it all the time in his books. Ultimately, true and lasting friendship can only be found in Christ and through Christ in the gospel. For the greatest earthly friends will have to one day leave us at death, but Christ and his people will always be in unity with one another. And eternally we shall gather together one day, us and every church around this globe, and we will sing to the Lamb who was slain for us. We will worship his name and this is what we'll sing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe, language, and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. This is the song we sing as a church. No divide here, no racism here, no hatred here, no sexism here. We were all one in Christ, bought and transformed and redeemed by the blood. And so we were all friends together and will eternally be so. Having come to Christ through his blood, we have friendships in this room that will never pass away. In a million years, we'll still be singing some of these hymns and they'll still be fresh. Together we will be with him who loved us who bought us for himself and who bought us for each other, because we are not just church members or church attenders. We are friends with God and with one another. Let's pray.